What does it mean to connect to your future at Lake Michigan College? They connect you to your future opportunities. They partner with local industries and employers, ensuring their programs align to the needs of the community's workforce. Lake Michigan College can help you get to the future you want. Visit lakemichigancollege.edu. WSJM News Now. This is the 5 o'clock news block on News Talk Sports 94.9 WSJM. Brought to you by the Town Crier Wire. In the newsroom, I'm Andrew Green. Two people are dead following a fire in Van Buren County today. The Van Buren County Sheriff's Department says deputies were dispatched to a home in the 44,000 block of 24th Avenue in Bloomingdale Township about 4.30 a.m. They arrived to find the home completely engulfed in flames. It was destroyed in the fire and deceased are a 64-year-old woman and a 66-year-old man. Deputies say they also checked an unattached garage and found one person sleeping inside. That person was awakened by the deputies and taken outside. The Bloomingdale Fire Department and assisting agencies put out the blaze, and now the Michigan State Fire Marshals assisting in the investigation. The Sheriff's Department says the cause of the fire hasn't yet been determined, and the case is an active investigation. A new audit from the Michigan Unemployment Insurance Agency has found the agency made an estimated $245 million in improper payments to deceased people, incarcerated inmates, individuals too young or too old to receive unemployment, and the department's own employees between January of 2020 and October of 2022. State Senator Eric Nesbitt says it's proof the governor's administration is reckless with spending. I think this is another alarming report of gross management of taxpayer dollars by the Whitmer administration. The governor and her appointed officials have continued to downplay these serious findings and claim they fixed the problem, yet this audit clearly shows the problems continued well beyond the COVID-19 pandemic. Nesbitt and other legislative leaders asked for the audit after previous audits found improper payments. He says it's not fair that fraudulent benefits were paid out while people who deserved support couldn't get it. I still have constituents that deserved money during the COVID shutdowns and still haven't been able to get those paid. And I've known them. They've been family friends for life. And we've tried to work with the unemployment insurance agency. And they still haven't paid those claims. And yet we see hundreds of millions on top of billions of dollars of fraudulent claims that have been paid. Wednesday's report is the OAG's fifth and final audit of the UIA looking into fraud delays and improper payments during the pandemic in response to a 2020 request by Nesbitt and other legislative leaders. Nesbitt first introduced the Senate resolution in June of 2020 calling for a financial and performance audit of the UIA. State Representative Joey Andrews has joined a group of colleagues to sign a letter to the Michigan Department of Environment, Great Lakes and Energy, urging it to reconsider a permitting change that would lead to the closure of Michigan's only anaerobic digester located in Fremont. Andrews tells us the Fremont digester keeps organic waste out of landfills and generates clean energy. They process things like agricultural waste, food waste, manure, that sort of stuff. And by capturing the methane and converting it into natural gas for heating and electric use. And then on the other side, this particular digester also converts solid waste byproduct into nitrogen and phosphorus rich material that can be used as fertilizer. Andrew says Eagle, a couple of years ago, changed permitting rules that would require the facility to meet clean water standards that it can't meet. That would essentially force it to shut down. This methane digester handles about 40% of Michigan's free market food waste and is a significant contributor of natural gas to power the surrounding community. It'd be a pretty big loss to the state and to the region, particularly as we're trying to address climate change. Having facilities like this that extract methane and turn it into something less bad is pretty important. The issue was brought to the attention of Andrews due to his role as the vice chair of the House Energy Committee. He says facilities like the Fremont Digester are a net positive as the state seeks to reduce its carbon emissions and rely on clean energy. 
Berrien County Sheriff Paul Bailey was honored this week at an open house as his, re- his retirement nears. And Bailey's last day will be Sunday. Then he steps down a year before his term was to end. The open house was held yesterday at the Fraternal Order of Police Lodge in St. Joseph with supporters giving Bailey a festive send-off. State Senator Eric Nesbitt presented Bailey with a state proclamation signed by himself and State Representatives Pauline Wenzel, Joey Andrews, and Brad Paquette, commending the sheriff for his service. Speaking of the County Board of Commissioners this month, Bailey said it took a whole team to make his time as sheriff a success. We all work together to make Berrien County one of the best places to live in Michigan because I think it is the best place to live. We have so many good things that happen here and so many good people doing good things. Bailey has been in law enforcement since 1979 and has served as sheriff since 2001. As he steps down, Under Sheriff Chuck Height will take on the role of interim sheriff until an election for sheriff is held. Stepping into the role of undersheriff will be current Chief Deputy Greg Sanders. Bailey has told us he wants to spend more time with his grandkids. He said at the open house he's already planning a trip to Ireland. The Berrien Community Foundation has announced the latest recipients of its four good grants. The BCF has awarded $154,000 in the most recent cycle of four good grants, which are intended to support organizations doing good in the community. Among this round's recipients is the Berrien County Veterans Services Office, which is getting $10,000 for the purchase of a DAV van to transport veterans to their VA medical appointments in Battle Creek. The office says the grants helped it reach its $20,000 fundraising goal. County Veterans Services Office Director Maureen Adams says, with only 18% of veterans in Michigan engaged in their Veterans Affair benefits, the DAV van is a rolling billboard that helps remind vets to check into their benefits. In all, 22 For Good grants were announced by the BCF today. Recipients include the Benton Harbor Arts Association, Harbor Habitat for Humanity, Lest We Forget, New Heights CCDA, and the Coloma Public Library. We'll have the full list of recipients at our website. And the Michigan Supreme Court has opted to keep former President Donald Trump on the state's primary election ballot. The court this week said it will not hear an appeal of a lower court's ruling from groups seeking to keep Trump off the ballot. University of Detroit Mercy Law professor Larry Dubin says he believes the Michigan Supreme Court had an opportunity to rule in a case that's taken the state and the nation into uncharted waters. I'm disappointed that the Michigan Supreme Court did not take the case on its merits. I think that there is a legitimate legal issue putting politics aside to decide whether Trump violated this provision of the Constitution. Uh, On the other hand, I can understand where Uh, they wanted to pass on it. Even though the state's high court has declined to hear the case ahead of the Republican presidential primaries, Dubin says the issue could return to the court before next November's general election. That's That's if the former president is indeed the Republican nominee. WSJM News now continues with your Bloomberg report. WSJM News now continues. An American Israeli Canadian hostage has been confirmed dead. More from ABC's Ines de la Quatera at the Foreign Desk. American Israeli Canadian hostage Judy Weinstein was confirmed dead on Thursday, according to Kibbutz near Oz. Weinstein is the second American hostage to have been confirmed dead. The Kibbutz writing, Judy was fatally wounded during the massacre on October 7th, and her death has now been confirmed. Her husband, Gad Haggai, 72, was also murdered on October 7th. Their bodies remain held in captivity by Hamas. In Esdal Equitera, ABC News, at the Foreign Desk. The number of Israeli soldiers wounded in the war with Hamas is growing. There are another sizable and deeply traumatized segment of Israeli society whose struggles are emerging as a hidden cost of the war that will be felt acutely for years to come. 
Given the large numbers of wounded, advocates worry the country is not prepared to address their needs. Israel's defense ministry says roughly 3,000 members of the country's security forces have been wounded since Hamas militants stormed into southern Israel on October 7th. Historically, the plight of the wounded has taken a backseat to the stories of soldiers killed in battle. After the fanfare surrounding tales of their service recedes, the wounded are left with a new reality that can be disorienting, challenging, and lonely. Meanwhile, the Iran-backed terror group Hezbollah has been firing off rounds of rockets and attack drones on northern Israel today. It's a daily part of what's now called the undeclared war between Israel and Hezbollah, which threatens to escalate into a full-blown second front with the war raging in the Gaza Strip. More than 80,000 Israelis have evacuated their homes in the north, and it's unclear when they'll return. Israeli leaders have made it clear that if a diplomatic solution can't be found to Hezbollah's dangerous presence in southern Lebanon, war is an option. Meanwhile, in Gaza, at least 50 Palestinians were killed in airstrikes in the center and south. 1.8 million Gazans, or 80% of the enclave displaced by the war, Some are on the move again, more from ABC's Jordana Miller in Jerusalem. Tens of thousands of Palestinians fleeing central Gaza as the Israeli army expands its war against Hamas. Gazans heading south, but the safety they seek remains elusive. They're finding shelters with no room, little food and water, and the sound of explosions from IDF airstrikes still all around them. No true safe zones exist in this war that has already claimed the lives of over 13,000 women and children. Jordana Miller, ABC News, Jerusalem. President Nicolas Maduro has ordered Venezuela's armed forces to conduct defensive exercises in the eastern Caribbean after the United Kingdom announced it would send a warship to Guyana's territorial waters during a border dispute between the South American neighbors. In a nationally televised address today, Maduro said 6,000 Venezuelan troops, including air and naval forces, will conduct joint operations off the country's eastern coast. That's near the border with Guyana. Maduro described the impending arrival of British ship HMS Trent to Guyana's shores as a threat to his country. He argued the ship's deployment violates a recent agreement between the neighboring nations. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis today ripped Republican primary rival Nikki Haley for her answer to a voter about the cause of the Civil War, telling reporters in Iowa it's not that difficult to identify and acknowledge slavery's role in the Civil War. More from ABC's Brittany Shepard. In Iowa, DeSantis hit Haley directly. I noticed that um, uh, Nikki Haley has had some problems with with some basic American history. Uh, She's asked a very simple question and responded with just a really incomprehensible word salad. Haley has since looked to clarify her answer, telling voters in New Hampshire Thursday that, quote, of course the Civil War was about slavery. Anderson suggested the questioner was a plant by the Democrats. Brittany Shepard, ABC News, Washington. The world population grew by 75 million people in the past year, and on New Year's Day it'll stand at more than 8 billion. That's according to figures released by the U.S. Census Bureau today. The worldwide growth rate in the past year was just under 1%. The growth rate for the United States in the past year was 0.53%, about half the worldwide figure. The U.S. added 1.7 million people and will have a population on New Year's Day of 335.8 million. If the current pace continues through the end of the decade, the 2020s could be the slowest-growing decade in U.S. history. With talks on Capitol Hill continuing over border legislation, the mayors of New York, Chicago, and Denver are demanding federal support with busloads of migrants coming into their cities. D. 
Details from ABC's M. Wynn in Washington. These mayors have asked for more money to help stem the flow of migrants. They have asked for policy changes, for instance, like making work authorizations available more quickly for migrants. And this comes as New York City Mayor Eric Adams just issued an executive order requiring charter buses full of migrants from Texas and elsewhere to be announced at least 32 hours in advance, essentially restricting the flow of migrants into the state. He says it's to help with coordinations. Others say it's just not fair for the bordering states. An Associated Press investigation has found that Russian occupation authorities vastly and deliberately undercounted the dead in one of the most devastating chapters of the 22-month war in Ukraine. That was the flooding that followed the catastrophic explosion that destroyed a dam in the south. Russia said 59 people drowned in the territory it controls, but the Associated Press determined the numbers at least in the hundreds in the town of Olsky alone. Health workers and others who were in the town told the AP Russian authorities hid the true number by taking control of the issuance of death certificates, immediately removing bodies not claimed by family, and preventing local health workers and volunteers from dealing with the dead. And they have demolished the house where a man killed four University of Ohio students last year. More from ABC's Andy Field. Work crews out early in Moscow, Idaho, splintering the rental property where police say Brian Kohlberger murdered four University of Idaho students last year. The home's owner had donated it to the university, and the school didn't want a reminder of the crime as students passed by to class each day. Some victims' families were against the demolition, saying they should preserve the crime scene until they finished trying the accused murderer. Andy Field, ABC News.